Hebrews chapter 11, and then we'll read the questions and answers from Lord's Day 25 in the back of the blue hymnal, page 32 there. We'll read the answers together. Hebrews 11, verse 1 through verse 6. Our text for tonight will be verse 6. We'll read 1 through 6. Let us hear from God's holy word. Hebrews 11, verse 1. Now, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command, so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. By faith, Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as a righteous man when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, he still speaks, even though he is dead. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life, so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. The grass withers, the flower fades, the word of our God endures forever. Amen. Lord's Day 25, page 32. Let's read the answers together, and I'll ask the the questions, beginning with question 65. Christian, you confess that by faith alone you share in Christ and all his blessings. Where does that faith come from? The Holy Spirit produces it in our hearts by the preaching of the Holy Gospel and confirms it through our use of the Holy Sacraments. What are sacraments? Sacraments are holy signs and seals for us to see. They were instituted by God so that by our use of them, He might make us understand more clearly the promise of the gospel, and might put his seal on that promise. And this is God's gospel promise, to forgive our sins and give us eternal life by grace alone, because of Christ's one sacrifice finished on the cross. Are both the word and the sacraments then intended to focus our faith on the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross as the only ground of our salvation? Right. In the gospel, the Holy Spirit teaches us, and through the holy sacraments, he assures us that our entire salvation rests on Christ's one sacrifice for us on the cross. How many sacraments did Christ institute in the New Testament? 
two, baptism and the Lord's Supper. Let us consider these things together as we consider the supernatural origin of our faith and what God gives us to nourish and strengthen our faith. These are wonderful things to consider, brothers and sisters, as we consider in the words of Hebrews that without faith it is impossible to please God and the blessing that he gives uh, to those who have faith and where he is pleased to look upon those who exercise that supernatural faith. One of the Sunday morning TV shows last week, I, uh, ended, I didn't watch this TV show last Sunday morning. I was busy doing something else. But I saw a clip from it later in the week. And it's one of these shows where members of the press get together and, and talk about uh, all that's going on and various articles that appeared in newspapers. And uh, the host read from a letter to the editor from a newspaper in Kentucky. And uh, the host was interested in this letter to the editor because it said that uh, it was talking about our our current president and why people uh, appreciate, why it seems like half the country appreciates him, the other half doesn't, even though that's kind of always the case. And they're kind of thinking about this, and this letter to the editor said, well, the reason is because half of the the country has been uh, taught to believe in fairy tales their whole life because they've listened to all these things read to them in the Bible, so they've been programmed to believe lies. So I don't don't want to get into the political weeds or anything like that, but it was uh, an illuminating moment. It said, uh, if you train people to believe in something like Noah's Ark, they'll just believe anything. Uh, They'll believe in any kind of fairy tale that you give to them. And in fact, that will be the kind of thing that they look for, the kind of thing that they want. On its face, it is quite amazing, isn't it, that as those who believe in all that God's word tells to us and all that it affirms, that some people could be utterly convinced that something like Noah's Ark is a fairy tale when we believe it with all of our hearts and we believe it because it is in God's word. But that in itself, the fact that we believe it and the fact that we're utterly convinced of what it says in God's word about something like Noah's Ark. That in itself is evidence of God's almighty working in us. We would not have a saving faith. We would not have what theologians call an infallible faith in the scriptures had God not furnished us with that gift. It comes from him. Man will not accomplish faith And saving faith by his natural abilities because faith is supernatural. It must be a gift from God. And our faith, not only in Christ, but in God's word, is supernatural because the scriptures are the supernatural testimony and revelation of God. It is God speaking, thus we are already dealing with something that is supernatural. This is not any normal book. This, is, this goes beyond the words of men. The understanding that uh, we, the, the kind of understanding that we name when we talk about understanding the scriptures is illumination. The Holy Spirit illumines the scriptures to us. 
And so that tells us already, that clues us in, that any understanding of the scriptures is going to happen by the working of God. In other words, we don't, we don't come to the word of God and just read it with our minds and gain a true understanding. A true understanding of the scriptures always comes because of God's work. And thus, it is a gift when the scriptures are illumined to us. Now, it is objective truth. We have to say that as well. Uh, The scriptures reveal objective truth. In other words, it's true whether I believe it or not. It's truth truth that exists outside of me. And it's not uh, just because it, it has to do with God's working in us. It's not as if he's revealing a different truth to everyone. Scripture has a fixed meaning, ultimately. But the scriptures cannot be trusted, and they cannot be savingly trusted, without supernatural faith that comes from God, and it comes from the working of the Holy Spirit in us. And the product of that is what we call infallible faith. That doesn't mean it's a perfect faith, but what it means is that faith that God gives... Faith that comes from him ultimately will not fail when we're dealing with something like uh, saving faith in Christ. If God grants it, then it will be faith that perhaps wavers at times. It can change in degree, as we will see later. It can be weaker or stronger. But it's infallible in the sense that what God gives in terms of saving faith, that faith will not fail. But there is something called false faith. There is such a thing as false faith. Hear these words in John chapter 2. Now when Jesus was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs he was doing. But Jesus on his part did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man for he himself knew what was in man. We come to find out more about this later on in John's gospel. But what John is telling us is that Jesus, though people were believing in him in one sense, Jesus did not entrust himself to them because he knew that for many of them what was in their hearts was actually a false faith. And it was a faith that ultimately did not come from God, from the supernatural working of God in and by the Holy Spirit. So there are all kinds of ways that scripture is impressive to the natural eye and the natural mind. We just started reading Genesis tonight. I read somewhere that it, uh, many people put the book of Genesis in the top five works of literature of all time. It's a beautiful and majestic work. There are all kinds of things that are impressive to the natural eye and the natural mind. The Westminster Confession of Faith uh, puts it this way. Human beings may be moved and induced by the testimony of the church to a high and reverent esteem of the Holy Scripture. We may be moved by the heavenliness of uh, the subject matter, the efficacy of the doctrine, the majesty of the style, the consent of all the parts, the scope of the whole, and it goes on and on. But then it says, yet our full persuasion and assurance of the infallible truth And the divine authority of the scriptures is from the work of the Holy Spirit alone. And that goes true for us, too, if we infallibly trust in the scriptures. 
and the Holy Spirit illumines it. We can still be moved by the majesty of it all. We can still uh, be taken up with how beautiful the scriptures are and how wonderful it is that God produced them for us and that they've been preserved through the ages. Nevertheless, true faith in the scriptures comes from God alone. And so John Calvin puts it this way. He says, God regenerates the elect unto a true and saving knowledge and also can give the reprobate certain rays of light through various means. The purpose for this is known only to God and is a mystery to us. The issue here is that in the experience of our lives, we're going to see people who have true faith and false faith. We're going to see people who seem to have a saving knowledge of the scriptures and a true faith in Jesus Christ, but they are there for a while and then they are not there. And the explanation for that is known only to God, or the purpose for that is known only to God. Because some are not given, those who are not chosen by God are not given this supernatural faith. False faith is a, most often a temporary thing. And we read about that in the parable of the sower. Listen to Jesus' words describing different kinds of faith, true faith and false faith. He says, listen, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, but, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. Four different scenarios. Only one of those describes true faith. And so we know that as the gospel is preached, God is doing something, He is working, He is granting true faith in those whom He has chosen. But there are many who will show certain rays of light. But what they are given is not true faith. It is a false faith, a faith that does not endure. And so what this means for us, brothers and sisters, is uh, that first, we are to accept the scriptures as wholly true. We are to accept the message of salvation as completely beyond doubt. We are to trust what God has revealed to us in his word. When Paul was on trial in the book of Acts, he says this very interesting thing that ought to to, to grip us and shape the way that we think about the way we accept the scriptures. Paul says, This I confess to you, that according to the way which they call a sect, I worship the God of our fathers, believing everything laid down by the law and written in the prophets. So we are to be absolutely persuaded that it is God speaking in the scriptures. This assurance will take care of many of the problems we tend to have with what scripture says. This does not solve every problem. And we don't have a perfect understanding of the scriptures. But when we live with a conviction that God is speaking in the scriptures, that takes care of a lot of the problems. Uh, There are many people who come to the scriptures thinking that it has problems that they need to work out. I was reading some person today that said Paul, or or this week, that said Paul has a completely different understanding of the cross as Luke does. 
And they, they proposed this way to reconcile that. That, of course, we know is not true because the ultimate author of the scriptures is God and, there, and it does not disagree with itself. If we think about it, things like Noah's Ark, uh, things like Jonah being swallowed by the big fish, it's actually more difficult to believe that a poor Jewish carpenter died for your sins 2,000 years ago, and through him you are granted eternal salvation and eternal life before God than it is to believe that Jonah was swallowed by a big fish, or that it is to believe that Noah built a big ark and the whole earth was covered with water. It's actually more difficult to believe that a Jewish man who lived and died 2,000 years ago, because of what he did, you are granted eternal life before God. But we're conditioned to to believe some things and we're told we should reject other things. But we need to be convinced that it is God speaking in the scriptures. That's infallible faith. Infallible faith in God's word. Infallible faith in Jesus Christ as our savior. But there are other things we can say about faith as well. Faith exists in varying degrees. Infallible faith doesn't mean faith that that never weakens faith that is never challenged. In Romans chapter 14, the Apostle Paul says, uh, is speaking of weak faith and strong faith, there are some people who cannot eat certain foods because their faith is weak. The one conclusion that we can make is that saving faith can at times be weak. This is uh, actually a comforting thing for us. Uh, some of us feel like we wrestle with doubts Some of us feel like our faith is sometimes wavering. Saving faith doesn't mean faith that is never at points of weakness. One thing that I share with people who are wrestling with doubts, particularly at the end of life, that a weak faith can still grasp onto a perfect Savior. A weak faith can still grasp onto a strong Savior. And that's a great comfort to us. It exists in uh, varying degrees. Theologians talk about a distinction between implicit faith and explicit faith. You think of someone who may be converted to the faith uh, in their adult life. And they're told that as Christians we believe in the Trinity. We believe in the deity of Christ. That he is eternal God. He is God and man in one person. We believe in the substitutionary atonement of his work on the cross. All of these things. And a new believer will not have a a, a very good grasp on the scope of the entire realm of Christian theology. There's implicit faith, in other words, because they believe all of these things even if they don't understand many of them. And many of us may say the same thing. There are a lot of things that I believe because they're in the scriptures, because uh, the church confesses them, but I don't understand them all. The difference between implicit faith and explicit faith is that there's a, there's a better grasp of the truths of Scripture. It's okay to have implicit faith, but we ought to seek explicit faith through God and His Word. Those who have been granted faith in Christ and faith in the Scriptures ought to want to know what those Scriptures say. And that becomes a responsibility for us. How do we do that? Well, we give ourselves to the means of of grace. And in Lord's Day 25, uh, we read of those things, particularly God's word as it is preached 
and God's word as it is made visible to us. So God gives us things to nourish our faith. The word, the sacraments, and prayer. True and and accurate knowledge of the scriptures when accompanied by the powerful working of the Holy Spirit strengthens our faith. So how can we come to a better knowledge of the scriptures? We come to a better knowledge of the scriptures by giving ourselves to what he has given to us. He knew that his people would need their faith to be strengthened. He knew that at times our faith would be weakened and it would need to be built back up. So what did he give to his people? He gave to us his word, which is to be preached and taught in the presence of the people, in the presence of the congregation, and he gave us the sacraments. And so this tells us something about how we ought to approach public worship. Why is it so important to give ourselves to the public reading, preaching, and teaching of the scriptures? Because it's what God gave to us. You think of a a father who gives a son a a tool to go and and do a job in the backyard. And then he looks out of the window and he sees his son going about this work with his bare hands. He's not using the tool, which which makes it much easier for him. To complete the task. And so he goes out in the backyard. He appeals to his son. Why are you not using the tool that I gave to you? When we neglect the preached word. When we neglect the sacraments. When we neglect prayer. We are neglecting the things that God has given to us. To strengthen our faith. To nourish our faith. God fashions his means of grace. According to the frailness of our hearts. So he gives us things like the sacraments. We love the words of our own confessional standards. As surely as you see the water, that is how sure you can be that God forgives you in Christ. As surely as you taste the bread and the wine, so sure can you be that your sins are forgiven through Christ. As human beings, our instinct is to trust our senses. What we see, what we hear, what we can touch, what we can taste. We trust our senses. And so it is a beautiful reminder of the grace of God, of the mercy of God, of how he accommodates himself and his revelation to us, that he gives us things that we can touch and taste and feel and see. The sacraments by which he assures us of the truth of the gospel. This means that wherever the preaching of the word and the sacraments takes place, that is where God is primarily building his church. All kinds of questions, a whole canon of Christian literature about how do we make disciples? How do we go about doing discipleship? The primary way is by attending to the preaching of the word and the sacraments uh, that that Christ has instituted for us. Do you struggle to, time, to find time for God? Take Sundays off from work. Find a church that worships in the morning and the evening. Has an hour for Bible education and an hour for fellowship. Right? That when, when you think about the way that God has told us to structure our week and our life, it really makes sense. And it's really quite a beautiful thing. God is building his church and he's making disciples Primarily through these means of grace. 
It's a great reminder, isn't it, that God uh, strengthens our faith and that faith can be strengthened. You may say, well, if God grants saving faith through the gospel and a weak faith can grasp onto Jesus and you're saved through that faith, though it may be weak, why should we want a stronger faith? Why should we want a stronger faith? Well, maybe a couple of suggestions. First this, faith is the antithesis of anxiety and fear and doubt. All of us struggle with anxieties. All of us struggle with fears. All of us struggle with doubts. What is it that overcomes all of those things in this life? Well, one of the things is faith. Matthew chapter 6. If God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? O you of little faith. Jesus is saying, you're anxious because your faith is weak. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? Mark chapter 4, Jesus said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? A strong faith works against the fear that crops up in our hearts. Matthew chapter 21, Jesus answered them, Truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what has been done to the fig tree, but even say to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, and it will happen. This is a way of Jesus teaching us about the danger of doubt and how faith works against doubt. So faith, as it's strengthened, works against things like anxiety and fear and doubt. This tells us that we ought to attend to the things that God gives to us to nourish and strengthen our faith. Another reason to seek stronger faith. Faith gives us a greater strength in this life than anything we could attain on our own. It it allows us to go through this life with all of its struggles, with all of its challenges, with everything that can be thrown on us, at us with a greater strength than anything we could achieve on our own. Psalm 125 says this, those who trust in the Lord, which is those who have faith in God, in what he says, in what he promises, in what he gives to us, those who trust in the Lord are are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved, but abides forever. You want to be strong in this life? You want to be strong against all of the wiles of the devil? You want to be strong against all the the challenges and trials and struggles that that you will face? You need faith. Faith in the God of the scriptures. Samuel Rutherford says this, I know that anything that's created would sink under me if I would rest upon it in faith. And therefore, it is better to rest on God And we weak souls must have a foundation and a place to rest, for we cannot stand firm alone. Let us then be wise in our choice and choose our own blessedness, which is to trust in the Lord. There's a blessedness that comes from trusting in the Lord. And this is what Hebrews 11, 6 says. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would believe must know that he exists and that he rewards those who diligently seek him. 
He gives a reward. He gives a blessedness to those who trust in him and who seek a deeper faith to trust in him more. So God gives a blessedness to those who seek greater faith. And that should be enough to seek a greater faith and a deeper and stronger faith. And then finally, uh, a reason to why we should want to grow and strengthen our faith is because Jesus was a man of faith. Jesus lived his life on earth by faith. He was, in that sense, the greatest believer who ever lived. 1 Peter chapter 2. When they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He entrusted himself. Jesus entrusted himself to his father. He believed the promises of his father. Now there's a, you may hear me say that and think it sounds weird that Jesus lived by faith. Humanly speaking, in Hebrews 11, chapter 6, it says, Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Jesus lived a true human life, didn't he? Even though he was sinless, he was perfectly righteous, he lived a true human life. So he believed all of God's promises. He trusted that God would vindicate him, that God would justify him. Jesus lived by faith not in a mediator for his salvation. He trusted in his own righteousness and in God the Father's ability to look upon his life and say, that is a perfect life. That is a life that defeats death and sin and the curse. Jesus lived by faith. And even still in the struggles of his life, when he fought against temptation when he fought against the agonies of what he knew what was to come, what did he do? He depended on God for strength. It was the Garden of Gethsemane. What is that? That's the the struggle, the victory of Jesus' faith. I'm entrusting myself to my heavenly Father. And we see there in his life and in that moment the struggle, the temptation that he faced. And what did he say? It's not my will, but it's your will. And he entrusted himself to the one who would judge justly. He entrusted himself who had promised the glories of being the reigning Messiah for all eternity to the one who would live righteously as the Son of God lived. We ought to to seek greater strength of faith because Jesus was a man of faith. And Jesus, even though we primarily trust in him as our Savior, as our Lord, as our righteousness, we also look to him as our example. And as we look to him as our example, we see the greatest life that was ever lived. And that life was lived by faith. And so we ought to want to strengthen our faith. How do we strengthen our faith? We strengthen our faith through the things that God gives to us. These means of grace. The preaching of the word. The sacraments. And prayer. All to nourish and strengthen our faith. All that we might be like Mount Zion which cannot be moved, but abides forever. What a wonderful picture that God, through his grace, through his sovereign grace, through his gospel, through his word, is fashioning us to be like that. Strong, stable, steady, can't be moved, but abiding forever. So we're humbled by all these things because it is by the sovereign working of God. 
Look to your faith and let it humble you. Let it humble you that it's by the working of God. Only He can grant it. And yet, let that give you assurance. Because as you think about your faith, the faith that you have in Christ, the faith that you have in God's Word, you know that since it is because of God's work and God's working in you, it will not fail. So as you look to Christ and look to your faith in Christ, let that be an assurance that all those who come to the Son will never be snatched from His hand, but they will be raised again at the last day. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, your promises, your gospel. We thank you for that which you give to us to nourish our faith and to strengthen our faith. We pray that we would trust in these means of grace. We thank you that you build up your church and you disciple your church uh, through these means of grace. We pray that uh, we would attend to them and that through all of them we would seek a greater faith, an increase an increase of the strength of our faith, uh, that evermore we might live like Jesus, uh, the one who lived a perfect life and uh, the one who accomplished all of our salvation. We thank you and we praise you in his name. Amen. Let's uh, respond together and sing number 